Guardian Unlimited. Welcome to Sounds of the City, a series of six audio guides to Mediterranean cities produced in association with the new Renault Megane 2006. For more information on the car, please visit www.renault.co.uk. I'm Sally Bolton and this is Sounds of the City. There's a lot of Spanish cities, especially Andalusian ones, that betray clear signs of their Moorish past when North African Muslims ruled much of the Iberian Peninsula for hundreds of years. But nowhere is the mix of cultures clearer than here in Granada, the Moors' last kingdom in Spain and the home of the Alhambra. This is a stunning series of Moorish gardens and palaces. It crowns a hill overlooking the city. It's Spain's most visited monument and it's an absolute must-see. Granada's small airport is about 10 miles to the west of the city on the A92 motorway. If you catch a cab from the rank outside the airport, it will cost you about 18 euros. There's also a bus service into the city centre, which costs 250. This service isn't too great, but I do hear it's improving. At the moment, the buses go about once every hour to hour and a half. Okay, so you've arrived in the centre of Granada and you want to orient yourself. The best place to go to do this is the principal square, Plaza Nueva. Stand in Plaza Nueva with the Alhambra monument on your right, towering above you on the hill there. And if you look to your left, you will see on the hills opposite this, the Albaicín, which is the old Moorish barrio or neighbourhood. In the valley between these two hills, running directly in front of you, is the River Darro. Okay, turn round 180 degrees and you're looking down into the centre of town, down the Calle Reyes Católicos. If you head down here just for a few minutes, you'll come to another big square, Plaza de Isabel Católica. To your right here is the central street of Granada, the Gran Via de Colón. And just parallel to this street and just above it is a street called Calle de Elvira. This is a great place to go to get tapas and go drinking. There's a big concentration of bars just here. Just below you at this point is the cathedral, a really imposing building. And to your left is the area of town which contains the town hall and a few other good streets for getting tapas and drinking, such as Calle Navas. (laughs) If late-night clubbing is your thing, you're better off heading for the student zone, which is around Calle Pedro Antonio de Alarcón. This is a 15-minute walk south of the cathedral. You'll find loads of clubs and discos that stay open well into the small hours there. Personally, I think I'm going to stick to the quieter areas in the city centre because they don't play loud European house music, and, because this is Granada... They give you free food with your drinks. So that's where I'm heading tonight. I'm here with Andy Walsh in a bar near the cathedral in the city centre. Andy Walsh is a local resident, originally from Liverpool, and he's lived here in Granada for about ten years. Andy, why is Granada special for you? Um, Basically, it's a small city, but the university makes a big difference. It makes it more cosmopolitan, despite being such a small place. 
It's quite friendly. It's very cheap. You can walk everywhere. It's, it's a good city to live. It's a good, good quality of life. And um, tell me some of the best places to eat. So have the famous free tapas of Granada. Tell me about that. Um, well, near the centre, the tapas tend to be smaller. The more touristy the place, the smaller the tapa. If you go out to more studenty, working-class neighbourhoods, the tapas get bigger and bigger. There's a great area called the Bullring, which is a student area, and they have really good tapas, and it's maybe 10 minutes from the centre. So the, the trick is maybe to go a little bit out to the centre, and the tapas get bigger and bigger. Lola, what do Granadinos do at the weekend here? Well, what they usually do, or what we usually do is um, on Saturdays uh, we go shopping uh, around town, and you can go to, if you want to... Um, buy uh, clothes. You can go to places like Zara, Mango, or Corte Inglés, or the local shops. Uh, or maybe if you want to buy some food, you can go to El Mercado de San Agustín, which is in town, and uh, you can buy fresh fish from Motril, and also tropical fruits from the coast. We also uh, go to the mountains to ski. On Sundays, you can also go to the mountains or you can have a walk around town in Puerto Real and Las Angustias and have something to eat there in the restaurants. Or you can uh, also go to have something to eat outside uh, to the villages around Granada. We, they have uh, like local food, very cheap food as well. The principal sites in Granada are the Alhambra and the Albaicín. This is the lovely old Arabic quarter, which is spread out on the hill opposite the Alhambra. If your time here is short, I would make those places a priority. I'm here with Jonathan Lord at the Alhambra. Jonathan is a director of a local specialist tour operator, Always Spain, and he's here to tell me some historical background about the Alhambra. Well, the Alhambra is uh, probably the greatest uh, Muslim historical building in all of Europe. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and it's the most visited monument in Spain and one of the most in Europe. Its chief splendours are in the section of the palaces, the Nazarid palaces, but it's much more than these beautiful residences of the sultans of the Middle Ages. It's basically a complex of fortress, gardens, palaces, and in its day it was a city and complete in all ways with bathhouses, mosques, workshops, factories, everything that the city would have, including uh, gates where duty-free wine would be sold to the populace of the city of Granada below. What's the best way to get to the Alhambra and to get tickets for the Alhambra? Well, the Alhambra sits on a hill above the city of Granada, so you can either take one of the small buses that run from city centre up the hill or indeed walk up. It's a beautiful walk up, go through cool woods, which particularly welcome in the summer. Um, you may have a bit of a queue if you choose to go on the day, so it's best to book in advance, and you can do that either through the internet or through the offices of a bank called BBVA. They are the recognised ticket agent for the Alhambra. The queues can get very severe, particularly at times like Easter or in the height of summer. My personal preference is to go if you have the time, to see the Alhambra for a nighttime visit, which start from 8.30 until 11.30, because you see a much smaller part of the Alhambra, just the Nazareth palaces, and you see them up close, and with the, the interior lighting, you can see, appreciate the fantastic tile work, the plaster, uh, the decoration. Uh, it's a more intimate approach and also made that way because there are far fewer crowds at that time of day but if you have time go back 
um, during the day, have a day ticket, um, which will also give you access to the gardens, the Generalife, and the fortress, the Alcazaba, as well as the, the Nazareth palaces. I'm here with Brenda Watts and Jim Watts from Warwickshire. They've just been round the Alhambra. What do you think, Brenda? Well, it's quite lovely. Um, a beautiful interplay of, of um, light, water, architecture. Just so creative, beautiful. Uh, it's quite a magical place, really. Tell us something about the Nazareth Palaces. What is the standout feature there for you? Well, the Nazareth Palaces are three separate palaces uh, which um, were built in various stages, um, starting from the end of the 13th century, and the last of them was built in the first half of the 15th century. They were inhabited by the sultans of the Nazareth dynasty uh, and used as their residences uh, for them and their court, for their, their wives, their harem was there, um, but also as places of reception for diplomats, um, ambassadors. Uh, the highlight for me is where those receptions took place, which is the Hall of the Ambassadors, which is a perfect cube-shaped room. It sits in the, the Kamara's Tower, which from the outside looks just like another part of the battlements. The Alhambra is very imposing and forbidding from the outside. It was in its day the strongest fortress in the known world. Um, inside, however, it is, I think, the height of elegance and sophistication of all of the craftsmanship uh, of the use of wood, of plaster, of stucco, um, the elaborate um, inscriptions from the Quran, the use of geometry and the um, ceramic tiles that adorn the walls, and simply just to spend time and uh, imagine the, the, the receptions of Christian princes uh, coming into this uh, chamber with the sultan on his throne in a slightly darkened room, the Christian prince coming in from the bright sunlight outside, the light reflected in the pool of water that um, is the, uh, the outside of the, the Hall of Ambassadors, um, for me, conjures up the image of, of what the Alhambra was about, of royal splendour hanging on against the odds, uh, against the tide of history. Well, Granada obviously owes its fame as a as a tourist destination to the existence of the Alhambra. Um, but I think in some ways it overshadows the rest of the city, which has a lot to discover. Um, obviously, the two and a half centuries of Muslim rule here at a time when the rest of Spain was, was Christian uh, has left a very distinctive character uh, on Granada. You have the Alibi theme, which, like the Alhambra, is also UNESCO World Heritage Zone, which is a network of narrow streets, and it is a representation of a medieval Islamic city. We're just heading up into the Alibi scene, the old town of Granada. Well, the street we're walking along, uh, the Carrera del Daro, um, so named because it, it runs alongside one of the rivers, the River Daro, is one of the most beautiful streets in Europe. On one side you have convents, monasteries, churches, palatial buildings from the 16th, 17th century, and on the other side the river and rising steeply above it, banks going up to the walls of the Alhambra, particularly beautiful at night um, when the those walls are floodlit. We're now heading uphill up Cuesta del Chapis. We've left behind the River Daro and the Paseo de los Tristes. 
what's up this street? Well, this is uh, one of the main entrances into um, the Albaicín, and we're just coming up to a church on our left, which has an interesting history. Uh, it was, in Muslim times, the main mosque of the Albaicín, and on the Christian reconquest, as, with, as happened with all of the mosques, and there were over 30 of them in the Albaicín, it was reconsecrated as a church and is one of the largest churches in the Albaicín. It still preserves the original patio of the mosque, which would have been planted with orange trees. We're coming up some narrow steps here now. What are we going to find up here? Well, this is um, a little alleyway which leads us up to one of the back entrances of the Mosque of Granada. After a long battle to get planning permission and win over hearts and minds, the Islamic community in Granada, which is quite sizable, made up of Spanish converts and also people who've come from North Africa and settled in Granada, established and built a new mosque here in the heart of the Albaicín, which was opened in 2003. Just passing there, I don't know if you can see it, there's a, a sign that says women's entrance. Then this little back alleyway is where the women who come to worship in the, the, the mosque access it. So we're in the gardens now of the modern-day mosque of the Albaicín. It's, it's a beautiful view here. It's not too many people either. No, that's uh, one of the advantages of... Um, of looking at the views uh, here rather than at the nearby Mirador's uh, San Nicolas, which is beautiful but is often crowded. Here it's, it's much more calm and um, what we can see while well, we're looking across uh, to the left you can see the Generalife, which was the Sultan's palace for the, his summer residence and beyond that uh, an urban park which is a very nice place to go off and stroll or take mountain bikes or whatever. Way in the distance we can see the mountains of the Sierra Nevada and we've recently had a snowfall and it's absolutely luminous. I particularly recommend actually people to come up here near to sunset because even when the sun's going down over the city, because the mountains are that much higher, you get a lovely pinky, tint, uh, orangey glow on the mountains and it's a perfect time for photography and just drinking in, in the view. Right, well we've just watched this beautiful view from of the Alhambra from the Albaicín. What about if we head now into the heart of the Albaicín. Yeah, let's take this little alleyway here, which is called Caijón San Cecilio. I don't know if you can see it, just here on the right, there's a little niche in the wall, and there's a statue of uh, a saint. This saint is the patron saint of Granada, San Cecilio. He is believed to have been um, one of the apostles of St. Peter, who came to evangelize in Spain in the first century and rose to be bishop of the Christian community here. Uh, going back to the times of the Roman Empire in Spain. Uh, and indeed, when politics changed in Rome, they turned against the Christians. San Cecilio and his fellow disciples were martyred. And there's this little shrine to him where it said that he was imprisoned at one time. OK, we're zigzagging our way down now from Mirador San Nicolás. There's a lot of um, small little houses around here, but over on the other side of that big wall, I can see something huge. What's, what's that? Well, that's um, a typical feature of uh, the Albaicín, and it's a large residence, a private residence, and they're called Carmens. Behind the walls, you'll see, if you're lucky enough to get access, the wall garden will have running water, often with a pool, fountains, um, a lot of shade given by lemon trees, myrtle, rose, jasmine, very sensuous, playing with the senses, and these are now the places 
um, most sought after in the Albaicín. Uh, the Albaicín has undergone a huge transformation in the last 20 years since it became UNESCO World Heritage Zone with people moving in and uh, restoring properties particularly Carmen's, uh, which go for vast amounts of money these days. Um, I think everyone likes to see on the other side of these walls, but uh, it's, it's a hidden world to many, and all we can do, I'm afraid, is just look and imagine. So we're heading down now. What, what's this road here called, and where are we going now? Well, this road here is uh, Aljibe del Trio, and if we follow it down, we'll get to an interesting part at the foot of the Albaicín, near the cathedral, which is a series of streets um, which basically resemble a Moroccan souk. They are um, populated by small shops which sell carpets, lamps, Moroccan wood, leather, crafts that have been brought over from North Africa. Most of the owners are from North Africa and some Spaniards as well. You'll find tea shops down here. And the two main streets are called Calderia Nueva and Calderia Vieja, Old Pot Street and New Pot Street. You can see that uh, all the stalls are set out and there's not very much room, cobbled streets going down. This is a pretty good place to end our stroll through the Albaicín. Do you fancy tea in one of these tetarias here? Absolutely, let's go. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Granada isn't one of Spain's great culinary centres, but it is one of the very few provinces in Spain that maintains the tradition of free tapas. Tapas, as you know, are, are these little dishes of tasty snacks which you typically eat with every round of drinks here. Um, they used to be given out free all over Spain. Sadly, that's not generally the case today, but it is in the province of Granada. So here, in this city, you can go out for beers and end up dining for free. Maybe that's why the town is so popular with students. Unfortunately, the deal isn't so great if you're a vegetarian because most tapas involve meat. I'm in a bar on Calle Navas now, and with my first beer, or tubo, as they call it here, they gave me a plate of serrano ham cured meats. And now I'm on beer number two, and I've got a plate of tortilla, which is potato omelette. And I know what's coming next because the guy to my right's got it, and it's snails. So I think I'm going to move on next door after I finish this. The best places in Granada to go for tapas are Calle Navas, where I am now, and that's on the Plaza del Carmen near the town hall. There's also Calle Elvira, that's very good, and the surrounding streets around there. That's just to the west of Plaza Nueva. But if you want a taste of the east, the Moroccan tea shops, or teterias, they're, they're all around Calle Calderia Nueva. Um, that's the street at the foot of the Albaicín. Um, you can get there every kind of tea or infusion you could ever have imagined. You can smoke some fruit-flavoured tobacco in a hookah pipe and just generally soak up the atmosphere. It certainly doesn't feel like you're on the north side of the Mediterranean. My favourite teteria drink is mint tea, té con buena, served very, very sweet in a roasting hot silver teapot. Do you have any uh, top tapas tips for us, Andy? Well, near the centre, there's the Calle Elvira, which is near Plaza Nueva, and there are two bars, one called La Antiguaya and one called Europa, which do excellent tapas, very big tapas, big hamburgers, bagels, sandwiches, which come free with a beer or wine. If you're planning to dine in a restaurant as opposed to eating tapas, remember that you're in Spain. If you want to eat at 7.30, I'm afraid you can forget it. No restaurants, apart from the really touristy ones, open earlier than 9 o'clock. Restaurants are generally here, fullest from 10 so if you get hungry earlier, tapas is a really handy option because you can get it nearly all day long. 
Sacromonte, the hill to the north of the city beyond the Albaicin, is the traditional home of Granada's gypsy population. And some actually still live here, as they used to, inside caves in the hillside. It's really unique and well worth a look. There's, there's also Granada's impressive, um, mainly Renaissance cathedral, which houses the tombs of Fernando and Isabel. They were the Catholic monarchs who took Granada back from the Moors way back in 1492. And the 11th century Moorish baths in Carrera del Darro, alongside the river Darro, are well worth a visit. If they get you in the mood, you can actually have a real bath in the modern Arab baths, which are just off Plaza Nueva, behind the Santa Ana church. What's the uh, best-kept secret of Granada in terms of sightseeing, somewhere tourists may not know about? Well, there's a place called La Cartuja, which is a Carthusian monastery which is near the university campus, and it's an amazing Baroque convent, which is really worth a visit. It's a little bit off the beaten track, but it's, it's worth seeing. Are there any things to avoid in, in Granada? The Albacene is fantastic, but if you come in the evening, you've got you to gotta watch your step and also the, the area of Sacramonte, which is beside it. It's also very atmospheric and beautiful, but it's kind of home to some tacky flamenco shows, really, so don't be taken in by them. I've seen a lot of lovely places in Spain, but I think I've just seen the most beautiful view in the country. I really don't think anything can beat the sight of the Alhambra backed by the snowy peaks of the Sierra Nevada, seen from the Mirador San Nicolás. I've taken, I don't know, hundreds of photos in the Alhambra, but I think it's that image that's going to stay with me in my memory. With special thanks to the Granada Tourist Office. Produced in association with the new Renault Megane 2006. For more information on the car, please visit www.renault.co.uk. Guardian Unlimited 